0: Well here we are again and really in an unexpected moment in time, not able to gather face-to-face. It's so great that we've got this format to be able to meet together online. For those of you who are listening from farther away outside of BC, maybe even outside of Canada, just a little context for you. Uh, Midway through this week our provincial health authorities ramped up our restrictions and so for now At least for the near future, we're no longer able to meet face-to-face as a church family. We're not able to have social gatherings of any size in our homes, and nor are we able to gather in our groups of 50, as we have been able to do since the summer. We are, however, and so thankful to God, able to meet in this online forum. So. I want to just put a fine point on the announcement that you might have missed a little bit earlier if you weren't listening when Vic and Jesse were going on and on and on of our plans for the coming weekends. We're going to continue to do the Northview TV format that you've grown used to, getting a service ready for you with a message and worship and all the information that you need and getting it all packaged together. And by Saturday afternoon, 4.35 o'clock, it is online. And you can enjoy that and join in that service anytime over the weekend. But additionally, starting next Sunday, we are going to do a live stream of that same service at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Now, what does that mean? Well, it basically means the same thing that you've seen on Northview TV. There will be a Bible message. There will be worship. There will be a host in seeing us. The only difference is it's going to be a little more raw, a little more real. It'll be unpolished because it's going to be live. So good, bad, or ugly, sort of like the good old days. If the preacher says something stupid, you all get to hear it because there's no chance to edit it out. It is live. So that's going to start next Sunday at 10 a.m. And as we go over the next month or so testing that out, we would love to hear from you. Do you like that format? Does it work for you and your family? But we think it'll give us a sense of being together as a church, at least over these coming weeks. It is so interesting, however, that the timing of this announcement came this particular week. And why do I say that? Because a couple times a year, we take a step away from our regular sermon series to have these weekends we call multiplication weekends, one in the fall, one in the spring. And it just so happens that this weekend was scheduled months ago to be that weekend where we would step away from our series in Luke and take a moment to focus on the bigger vision that God has given to us as a church family. And on Wednesday, when we got the advance notice as church leaders that this Thursday announcement was coming, we wouldn't be able to gather this weekend, in some ways the timing for that shutdown announcement is actually perfect for the timing of this message. I was actually going to title the message, The Church Has Left the Building, But given the announcement midweek, I could change that title. The church is actually locked out of the building. You see, that shutdown presses home the main point, spoiler alert, the main point of my message this weekend is that we serve a sending God, a God who has on a mission and has a mission for us, and that as his children, we therefore have a mission that he has sent us on. We are a sent people. Uh, we're going to talk about the two sides of that same coin, being called to Jesus, being sent by Jesus. Uh, Jesus in John 7:37 said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. In Matthew 11, he said, if you're weary and you're heavy laden, if, you, if you've got burdens, come to me, I'll give you rest. So the invitation to come to Him, to be called to Him. The flip side is Jesus in John 20 says, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Matthew 28, go into all the world, make disciples, baptize them, teach them to obey. So this tension of the being called and being sent. And it's sort of like the ebb and flow of the tides or the waves at the lake or the seashore. They come in, they go out, they come in, they go out. Jesus calling us to himself and then sending us back out again. We sometimes use the language of the church gathered and the church scattered. We're admonished to not forsake the gathering of God's people, that we would come together, that we make it a priority of our lives. Don't forsake getting together with other believers. You need this time. But then we come together and we're told in our gatherings, get back out there. Go right back out into the world where God is sending you. So yes, gather, don't forsake the gathering, and yet get back out of here, out onto the mission God has sent you on. Uh, I've sometimes used a drawing, and hate they set me up with this cool little miniature whiteboard here. Uh, you've seen this before if you've watched me preach before, but just a simple quadrant. Oh, it's a flippy flip chart. A simple quadrant like this, And if you would say, divide that four, and that this whole graph represents the life of the church. So at the top of it, if you put an L, and the bottom of it, you put an S. That simply means large groups and small groups. And on this side, put a G for gathered and an S for scattered. So the gathered church, the scattered church. Now you've got your interesting quadrant here. My point in this drawing, and it's really fun to mine this in conversation with people, and maybe even in one of your care groups, you want to talk about this. That I think the default mode for most North American Christians, when we talk about the church, when we think about the church, we think of it entirely on this side of the quadrant the church gathered. So if you would say this line down the middle, is the difference between being in the world and being with the church. Being out there doing evangelism and outreach and having an impact on the world and being inside the walls of the church, whether it's a a large gathering or a small gathering. And so our small groups, even our family gatherings, our fellowship times, and certainly our large worship services, events, conferences, all of that falls on this side of the gathered church. But the fact of the matter is, the vast majority of Christians live the majority of their life, at least 100 hours of every week, not gathered as the church, but scattered as the church. Scattered out into salt and light on this side of the quadrant. So what has effectively happened in this pandemic is that this side of the church has effectively been shut down. We're no longer able to gather as we once were. Right now, we can't even gather in small groups in our own home, let alone the large gatherings. But the point I want to make with you this weekend is that the church scattered in no way is hindered from doing the very work that God has always called us to do. We might be locked out of the church gathered. But what if that is actually the best thing that could have happened to us? That's a provocative question. You see, this pandemic is actually forcing us into the only expression of the church that is currently at our disposal, and it is the church scattered. Our individual lives lived out as salt and light has not changed. Now, you know this. The times that we're living in, are times of massive societal upheaval in the Western world. In particular, the Western worldview about faith and spirituality in general and Christianity specifically. The church here in the West has enjoyed a privileged position of being at the center of our culture, carried along by a culture that acknowledged the authority of the Bible, the importance of faith and the faith community, a society that reinforced the vision and the values of the scriptures. But the tide has changed quickly. It has changed fast. In just one generation, from the time I was a child until to today, just one generation, we have gone from a predominantly Christian framework of thinking that has shaped our culture to a predominantly post-Christian worldview where a growing majority of people say they have no religious affiliation. And we're seeing the pendulum shift even further. Not now just non-religious, but actually anti-religious. Where it used to be a respectable thing to be known as a Christian, even an evangelical Christian, those terms have become pejorative. Whereas people tried to hide their unbelief, Now the opposite is more common. People of strong religious convictions are being told, shut it up and shut it down. Keep that private. Keep it to yourself. The fastest growing religious demographic in Canada is that of no religious affiliation. We call them the nuns. The majority of people aren't waiting for an invitation to some church event. They're not looking for church. They're not interested in church. They're not hoping that the church is somehow going to change and become more relevant to them. The bottom line is they're not thinking about the church at all. Uh, Steve Timmis and Tim Chester, provocative book called uh, Everyday Church, talk about a study in the UK that indicated 70% of, of Brits who were surveyed said they had no intention of attending a church for any reason. Not for Easter, not for Christmas, not even for weddings or funerals. Two-thirds saying that nothing would draw them inside a church building. And they go on to say this, that means new styles of worship will not reach them. Fresh expressions of church will not reach them. Great first impressions will not reach them. Churches meeting in pubs will not reach them. The vast majority of unchurched and de-churched people would not turn to the church, even if faced with difficult personal circumstances or in the event of national tragedy. It's not a question of improving the product of church meetings and evangelistic events. It means reaching people apart from meetings and events. You see, in other words, we must become the church that goes to them because they will no longer come to us. The world at large may have no interest in the church gathered. In fact, they might not even know it exists. But they cannot avoid the church scattered. And my hope and my prayer this week is that the Spirit of God would encourage you to lift up your eyes to all of the good that can actually come out of this time of isolation. That more powerfully and more specifically, that He might inspire you to see the powerful force for good that the scattered people of God can be in our world, even in the midst of a pandemic. I'm sure that many of you remember a message that Pastor Jeff gave way back in May of 2018. Now, you think, how would I remember a message like that? Because it was about a new vision that Northview was embracing. His text was Matthew 25, which tells the story of a king who is leaving his realm. He is going away on a trip, and he is leaving his stewards in charge. He calls in three men. He gives one five talents, one two talents, one one talent, based on their ability. And a talent is just simply a measure of weight. It represents money. He gave them 60 to 80 pounds of gold, which in our worth today is like 2 million worth of gold for every talent. So one talent, two talent, five talent. And when the king returns, the servants line up to report to him what they have done, how they have invested, and how they have used these talents. And the main point of Jeff's message was simply this, a conviction of the Spirit of God that had been growing in his heart that Northview had been deeply blessed by God and that he has entrusted us with talents, one, two, five bags, five bags full. And Jeff's analogy was we are a five-bag church and that God inspects us to use these talents For his glory. And a line stood out to me. He said, the vision that came into his mind, the Lord saying to him, Jeff, it's like I have given you as a church family a Lamborghini. And you've been driving it like a golf cart. It's time for you to take this out and take it for a spin. Out of that sermon and out of that period of time, a vision came to be part of what God was doing across the nation. And the big, hairy, audacious goal, the BHAG, was what if we could see every church in Canada impacted for gospel renewal? That's a huge goal. And as a church family, we have embraced this call to multiply, specifically to multiply disciples through healthy local churches to raise up and send out leaders. Ultimately, our desire is to see Canada changed by the gospel of Jesus through vibrant local churches in every city, town, and village, planting churches, replanting dying churches. We currently have four men in a church planting residency, and we are trusting the Lord by His grace that each one of them will go on to lead a new church planting venture in the coming years. We have a dozen young leaders in our MDiv track, doing their formal theological education while immersed in local church ministry. We're partnering with Westside Church to start a new church in Kelowna next year, 2021. We're supporting two other congregations who are replanting churches that have closed their doors. We're working with Real Life Community Church over in Surrey. They lost their pastor a year ago to cancer. Their leaders and our leaders are talking and dreaming about what will it look like to retool them, to reboot them for the next chapter of ministry. And at the end of our service today, we're going to tell you about an opportunity for you to give to a special offering to help another church renovate an old building that they've inherited, to do an extreme makeover on this 52-year-old facility so that this new church can get off to a great start. And you might be saying, why are we doing all this? And there is so much that could be said. We could talk for hours. So much that should be said. But to keep us focused, I chose just one verse of Scripture to anchor us today. And it is from Psalm 33. We're going to scroll through the entire chapter, but my focus is on Psalm 33, verse 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he chose for his inheritance. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. We know what blessed means because it's a familiar word. We use it inside the church and our culture actually still uses the word. It's not uncommon to hear people, Christian and non-Christian alike, use the word blessed. Canada has been so blessed with natural resources. My kid has been blessed with athletic abilities. We know it carries an overtone of the sacred. We will hear people talk about saying a prayer of blessing. Uh, You've heard Catholic confessionals, Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. But we also use it just generically to speak of happiness and good fortune and flourishing, to be favored, to have an abundance, to be at peace. We're blessed. Psalm 33 starts with a call to worship. The first three verses basically say, come sing joyfully to the Lord. Play skillfully, shout for joy. We've got to lift up the Lord and worship. The next few verses ask the question basically, well, why would we do that? Because his word is right. He is faithful in all He says and does. He is righteous and just. The earth is full of His unfailing love. If you just look for it, His fingerprints are everywhere. He created all of this. He spoke it into being and He holds it all together. Bottom line, He is big. We're little. We should stand in awe of this One who controls all things. And then that verse right in the middle. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people who have made Yahweh, Jehovah, their Lord and God. The next few verses basically talks about this God who is our Lord, that He is sovereign over our lives, that He sits enthroned in the heavenlies, that He watches over the affairs of men and the affairs of state, that kings think that it's their mighty armies, their warriors, their horses that save, but... It is really God's favor that is on those who fear Him that saves us. And so the conclusion of the text, we might label the last three verses, God keep our land glorious and free. We wait and hope for the Lord, verse 20 says, He is our help and strength. In Him we have placed our trust. Oh God, may your unfailing love rest on us. Blessed is the nation whose God is the lord now i'm going to go out on a limb here risk maybe offending some of you but i fundamentally believe i fundamentally believe it that the reason North America has been so blessed by any standard on the world scale is because Canada and the United States were founded on principles that would honor God and His Word, His rule and His reign, His right to direct the affairs of our nation. Now, hold off of the emails. I can hear the keyboard clacking already. Don't even do it. Don't send it. I can hear the rebuttals. No, Canada is not a theocracy. It never has been. It has never truly been a quote-unquote Christian nation. I know church and state are separated. This is not a political talk. And others will mention the atrocities of our so-called Christian country. I know all that. I get all that. But for all of the horrible mistakes and abuses and sins of our people and of our governments... The overarching narrative of our culture was one that assumed God is sovereign. This stuff is written all over Canadian history. We don't have time to dig deep, but let me just highlight four cultural icons that illustrate what I mean. And you can, you can look these up on your own. The first is the name of Canada and our national motto, the Dominion of Canada. And our motto is actually a scripture verse, Psalm 72.8. He will have dominion. He will rule from sea to sea and from the rivers to the ends of the earth. If you take Psalm 72 and you trace it through the scriptures, you will know that it is not referring to any earthly king. This was not a colonial text referring to the king of England. It refers to one and only King Jesus. Zechariah 9 quotes from Psalm 72. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Your king is coming to you righteous... And having salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And then it adds that phrase, and his rule shall be from sea to sea and from the rivers to the ends of the earth. Now, you know this, that in Matthew 21 and also in the Gospel of John 12, it says this thing. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey. It was when Jesus came into Jerusalem at his triumphal entry, the humble king who is going to rule and reign from sea to sea and from the rivers to the ends of the earth. As an immigrant to Canada, as a U.S. citizen, taking my Canadian citizenship text, I had heard these stories of Leonard Tilley coming down from his devotions and saying, it's got to be the Dominion of Canada. It's got to be Psalm 72, verse 8. I was shocked, I was amazed when I got my little study booklet, and many of you have taken this book, Studied it and gone for your test and become a Canadian citizen. In this book on page 18 is the story of Sir Leonard Tilley, his morning devotion, Psalm 72, verse 8. He will have dominion. I'm amazed that every new Canadian is told that very story. Let me tell you one more. The Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Have you read this thing lately? Can you read it? Can you see it? Look it up. Google it. The Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms freedoms. Do you know what the very first words, probably not, you probably haven't read it, whereas Canada is founded upon principles that recognize the supremacy of God and the rule of law. That's the very first words in our charter of rights. Canada recognizes the supremacy of God. One more. Did you ever take a look at the back of the old $5 bill? They're hard to find now. Uh, The new one has been replaced with the, uh, the Canadian Hubble space arm. But one generation back, it was a tribute to hockey on the back of our $5 bill. And if you come across an old one, you can still find this. There is a little poem written in there that you probably never read, taken out of a story called The Hockey Sweater. And the line on the back of the $5 bill says this, The winters of my childhood were long, long seasons. We lived in three places, the school, the church, and the skating rink. But our real life was on the skating rink. Now, it's a tribute to hockey, so that's why they talk about the skating rink. What is significant is that on our very money, they chose a story that included the school, the church, and the skating rink. Three primary Canadian icons. Finally, let me just throw one more out there. The National Anthem, every time you sing the National Anthem, you are reminded of a sovereign God. God keep our land glorious and free. We sing it at the end of verse 1. What most Canadians don't know is that there are several verses to our National Anthem. We never sing them, we never hear them, but if you look it up, you can find them. And verse 4 is amazing. It says this, Ruler Supreme, who hearest humble prayer... Hold our dominion within thy loving care. Help us to find, O God, in thee a lasting, rich reward. As waiting for the better day we ever stand on guard. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Now, somebody out there in TV land about right now is saying, ah, that's all really cool, pastor. But honestly, so what? Question. What does this have to do with me, with us, with Northview's vision to multiply? Answer, everything, everything. Blessed is the nation. That phrase is not for a nation state, a political political entity, but people groups, tribes and clans, relationships of people. Nations are comprised of the sum total of our various parts, institutions and families, structures and systems, organisms and organizations, and all of the interlocking spheres of culture and society, of business and education, commerce and banking, science, the arts, finance, entertainment, agriculture, medicine, politics, the law, the trades, and on the lists could go. The common denominator of all those overlapping spheres of society is this. People. People. Men and women who come to their chosen field of expertise with a worldview that either acknowledges and honors God or does not. And so if we want to see Canada transformed by the gospel of Jesus, then the gospel of Jesus has to permeate the culture. And the best way to permeate the culture is to deploy an army of ambassadors out into every domain of society as salt and light, is what Jesus said. Agents on a mission for the high king of heaven. How do we create these agents for the kingdom? Well, we pull them out of the world. We pull them out of the world long enough to equip them, and train them, and inspire them, and strengthen them. It's like boot camp. And then we send them back out on mission. Salt, light, yeast, so many New Testament metaphors. And so we come back to that natural ebb and flow of the church, the gathering and the scattering of God's people that we regularly gather to be strengthened, equipped, and encouraged, reminded you're on a higher mission here than just paying down your mortgage. You've been commissioned by the high king. Aslan is on the move, and the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve have been sent out into the cold, icy winter darkness. The rule and reign of the king is on the move. Satan's icy grip in our world is being broken down. This is why the gathering of the saints is so critical. We need this reminder. I'm not alone I'm not alone. It might feel like I'm all alone out in the 24-7 of my daily life, in my neighborhood, in my school, in my workplace. But here, with God's people, I'm reminded and I'm strengthened and I'm encouraged. I'm not the only agent out there. And so part of the great burden of this pandemic is certainly this, that large gatherings of God's people can't happen in the way that we have been used to. And you might be wondering why I'm so revved up over this. Well, let me ask it this way. What if you lived in a town or a village or a city or even just a neighborhood where there is no vibrant gospel preaching church? What if the church in your town no longer believes the Bible is true? What if the church in your town no longer preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ? What if the church in your neighborhood doesn't have a Sunday school where boys and girls can come and hear in their earliest years, Jesus loves me, this I know. What if the churches that at one time were full and vibrant are now just a shadow of their glory years. A small group, mainly elderly folks, who are hanging on and trying to keep the utility bills paid. But years since there's been a baptism, no new faces, no great plans for the future. What if the church in the neighborhood that once preached the gospel now has a for sale sign on the front yard and developers are bidding to tear it down and put up another condominium? What if... Three to four hundred churches in Canada closed their doors every year for the very first, last time. What if increasing numbers of Canadians had no significant contact with any life-giving church? What if this all was true? Because it is. Then we need to plant and replant churches. We must repopulate our cities, our towns, and our villages with disciples of Jesus. We must raise up men and women who will lay their lives down in sacrifice for the kingdom, who will give up their own personal goals and dreams of power and pleasure and fame and fortune, whatever those goals are, and jump into the plans that God has for them, both inside the church and out in the marketplace. People who will say, I will be equipped for this sending mission that God is on. I will enroll in the Lord's boot camp. I'll get some theology under my belt. I'll cry out to the Holy Spirit to break my heart. I will learn to pray kingdom-sized prayers. Your kingdom come, O Lord. I'll lift my eyes beyond my own little plans for marriage and family and mortgages and careers. Those things are all important, but I will lift my eyes to higher kingdom challenges. If God calls me to be a teacher, then I am going to teach to the glory of God. If He calls me into business, then I am going to run my business in a way that honors the name of Jesus Christ if He calls me into medicine or the arts, or banking, or the trades. I will live every day of my life as a man or a woman on a mission, sent by the high king as salt and light. Now, I know there's absolutely no way for any one individual to maintain that vision without regular and vital input and the impact of a gospel-driven church. We can't do it alone. We can't survive without God's people, iron sharpening iron, one person sharpening another, so we don't forsake the gathering of God's people. I will pray, and I will give, and I will serve inside my church, just so people like me can be equipped for the majority of their life that is spent out there in the scattered church, the reality that we call Canada. I'll do my part on my watch to see that more and better churches are raised up, that more and better leaders are equipped, that more and better disciples are being sent out. I will join the large mission to see the gospel transform our nation. Because I believe that when God inspired the psalmist to pen those words, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, that he actually meant it. The nation that will make Jehovah God, Yahweh, your Lord, will be blessed. A fascinating study came out just a couple years ago. You can Google it and read it for yourself. A 132-page article called The Great Opportunity. The Pine Tops Foundation put it out. You can find it online. This week, I reread one quote that was so challenging. It says this, We believe that Christians are sent back to be good in the world, acting as salt and light in a decaying, darkening place. That is part of what it's like to be Jesus. But we want to stress that it is easy, we think, to believe that whatever historical moment one lives in is growing darker than the one before, that there is some great crisis, and it's probably true, that every generation has thought this of their time probably, because it was. The world is broken by our sin and always decaying. And the church is always bringing preservation and light. All of us see the consequences of the fall, but we shouldn't be surprised by it, no more than being shocked that the milk goes bad if we don't do something with it. So we believe that we should make the most of our time and be concerned about the world. But we are also not fearful of our time in history. And then they wrap this section with a quote from Richard Newhouse. And he says this, We have not the right to despair, because despair is a sin. And finally, we have not the reason to despair quite simply, because Christ has risen. You see, the church has left the building should not be because of a pandemic alone. The church leaving the building should be more powerfully our obedient response to our Lord, not only who calls us, but then sends us into the world. So listen, I want to pray for all of us. And then we're going to wrap this up with a four-minute video that highlights one of the partnerships that we are involved in, and a specific opportunity for you to give toward a special offering that is going to help set a new church up for great ministry. We've had some money set aside uh, for these kind of projects, and our elders have actually already approved a gift to this church, but we also wanted to give all of you the opportunity to participate in this project that if the Lord would move you to give, we're actually hoping we could send $150,000 to Midtown Church in Vancouver to help them renovate the old Culloden Mennonite Brethren Church in their neighborhood. And we're excited for you to know about this and to participate in that particular project. But let me pray for all of us with this bigger picture in mind. And so Lord, I pray for the men and women and the boys and girls who are listening to this message. And Lord, knowing that this week is a weird week for all of us because we thought these lockdowns were going to lift, that we were seeing light at the end of the tunnel, and instead we are back now in full lockdown, not able to physically be together as a church. And so Lord, I pray for your your comfort for each person who is listening this week, particularly for those who live alone, for those who are singles or for those who are elderly and no longer have their families around them, that you would be a comfort to them. But Father, I also pray that you would strengthen us, that in these days we have nothing to fear, because the Lord our God is the sovereign ruler over our lives, over this dominion called Canada, and over our individual lives. And Lord, I pray For every man and woman who's listening to this message, that out in the everydays of their life, the 24-7s of their life, in their neighborhoods, on the sports field, in the schoolyards, in the marketplace, that you would ignite within them a passion to live as the scattered church of Jesus, living every day on mission as salt and light for your great glory, for our joy, And for the honor of Jesus' name, amen.